Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio. And yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. Today, uh, we have an important show. Um, We've had some great musical shows, film shows, um, all those, and those are great and talk to really talented people. We're talking to two people today that are each very talented. However, they're on here not just for their talents, but more for their fight. Um, We have a couple who have been termed the trans power couple of the United States, um, Zoe Zephyr and her fiance, journalist Aaron Reed, are on board, and we're going to be hearing from them. Erin uh, is a journalist. She, as I said, she writes for the Los Angeles Blade and Harper Bazaar. Um, Zoe was captured the national attention um, in the last year when she stood up against the Montana legislature for um, a bill that they were passing and um, called them out on it. And they did not like that. And they snapped back hard against her. But um, she is fighting on, and uh, we're all the better for it. Um, Let's see, what else about them? Um, Aaron has a couple of really important tools out for the use by or by trans people in particular, um, also guidance for families uh, of trans people and things that trans allies can do to step up as well. So we're going to be talking to them. And uh, first, though, we're going to go to Brody Levesque. Brody is the co-host of the show. He is also the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine, which, by the way, is the news source you should be checking every single day. It has original journalism um, daily, and I mean seven days a week daily. Um, It also is the recipient of last year's um, Excellence in Journalism Award from GLAAD. And with that, with um, kind of the newest breaking stories, here is Brody Levesque. Good afternoon, Rob. Actually, in in deference to our guests, one of the stories that we are following closely is out of my homeland of Canada in the province of Alberta. Alberta has just passed through uh, an incredible pile of anti-transgender legislation. Uh, We'll be having a story on that later today in the L.A. Blade. Uh, long-term Canadian journalist uh, and Blade contributor uh, Rob Salerno uh, is working on it now. There was a press conference earlier today. The premier, which for you Americans is roughly the same as a governor, uh, Daniel Smith, uh, got up there and said some really seriously clueless things. And uh, it's just one of these things where um, there's been this pile-on, and now we're starting to see it in Canada as well, uh, in the United States. And, and Aaron, of course, is a premier L.A. Blade columnist. Uh, and I'd also like to point out, uh, Aaron has got Aaron in the morning. You need to subscribe to that. 
and if you go to any of the pieces on the Los Angeles Blade that have Aaron's byline, please go to the bottom, and you'll see how to join uh, Aaron's uh, regular posting at her regular site. Uh, and you, you 100% need to follow along with what she's doing. She's an incredible journalist and columnist, uh, and she is really someone who's got her thumb on the pulse of what's going on. Um, we're looking at today, besides the Alberta action, which is currently being uh, worked on, um, just a kind of a plethora cross-section of, uh, you know, news that has been ignorant, to say the very least. Um, as we start to crank into this political uh, cycle, uh, we need to pay attention to the two primary issues uh, that we're covering in the blade and a lot of my colleagues are covering. The Republicans have two-pronged, and the two prongs are immigration and the border crisis and the entire LGBTQ community, the trans community, the drag community, the gay community, the lesbian community. This is the two-pronged attack as they're moving into the selection cycle. For example, two days ago, Maryland Republicans filed bills to ban trans youth from sports. Now, that's not going to go anywhere because it's a democratically controlled state house. But this is the type of full-court press that they continue to do. We're still having issues that we're reporting on in terms of school boards and some of the anti-queer uh, policies that are now being enacted. And this also includes in states like California, which we've previously covered on the show. So these are some of the things that we're looking at uh, in terms of the overall it's just a situation where, politically speaking, you know, we need to pay closer attention to what's going on. And the right's getting shriller about it um, and a little bit more ignorant. Matt Walsh, who's everybody's least favorite right uh, commentator today, also went a little racist to go with his homophobia. This is quoting Walsh on his daily radio show. The black child at a stable home with married parents who stay married is an anomaly. It is a rare exception to the rule, and that's the problem. Every other problem is rooted in that one problem. You could go and you could probably ignore every other factor and just focus on this one for, for once. You know, it's just like really once. And this is, of course, the guy that leads the anti-trans fight, too. Um, so these are some of the stories that we're following and keeping track of. Um, and as we start to move into the political season, uh, again, it's really critically important that folks engage. You know, we take a look at it. Uh, the FBI released a report on Monday, and I think we need to pay attention to this. We covered this at the L.A. Blade. The Bureau released a report on Monday, which shows that schools were the third most popular spot for bias-motivated hate crimes, and the vast majority of those were against the queer community. Primary and secondary were homes and residences, highways, roadways, and allies, alleyways. Third was schools, and that report was taken from the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Program and the data from its report for the last year that they've done it, which is 2022. 2023 is currently in works. Uh, we reported on that a couple of days ago. So this is kind of the things that we need to do, we need to pay attention to, um, and people need to really keep this in their radar screen as we start to get deep um, into, you know, the election cycle. Now, Aaron wrote a piece for me yesterday, which was good news, 
amongst all the bad news. Uh, in Iowa, uh, they were able to beat back a trans civil rights protection bill that would have literally removed civil rights protections from the trans community in the state of Iowa. Um, and as Aaron wrote, okay, um, this bill would also uh, classify transgender people as disabled. I can't think of anything more offensive than that, but apparently there are Republican lawmakers that can. So that's pretty much what we're looking at right now. Um, the last thing of note is for whatever reason, Taylor Swift has apparently got the right wing frothing at the mouth, including the former president uh, and the guy that's under indictment for, what is it, 91 federal criminal counts, um, because Taylor Swift may endorse Joe Biden, so they're all frothing him out at that. In fact, one right-wing commentator uh, who's a little far out there basically said, you know, if Taylor Swift and you know endorses uh, Joe Biden again, we're going to get the bitch. He actually said that on the air. So, yeah, that's what's got the right all concerned these days is Taylor Swift and, of course, our community. Go figure. Anyway, back to you, Rob. <laughs> okay, yeah, you you kind of went silent there, Brody. I'm not sure what. Collecting my thoughts. <laughs> thought you <laughs> thought, thought you talked about Taylor Swift and fell over. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, well, the Republicans have every right to be scared of Taylor Swift. She yields um, enormous uh, persuasion power with um, the Gen Zers, and um, they should be scared because they do nothing for the Gen Z. Uh, population and um, her encouragement of them to vote is is very threatening. Although I can't see how them making comments about her <laughs> are going to help. <laughs> I mean, it's like okay, <laughs> yeah, your audience is really going to silence Taylor Swift. In fact, we should get Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and all the other ones that have these massive um, followers to follow suit as well. Um, and get out the vote. And it's not just for Joe Biden, but all the, the Republicans should just be uh, voted out of office. And one thing, Brody, before we bring on our guests that actually irks the crap out of me is because I sent you that video about the Alberta premiere this morning um, where she came out with this stuff. And I am so sick of these stupid talking head politicians. Um, no offense, eight, that wasn't directed at you. Um, but these stupid talking head politicians giving medical crap, quote unquote, um, uh, talking points. And they're not countered with the people who should be talking, which is like the American Medical Association or the Canada Medical Association or the Cannibals. Canada Psychological Association. These organizations should have somebody on speed dial to get out there every time a stupid politician opens their mouth. Um, and why we're not hearing legitimate health care um, conversation in these dialogues, I don't understand. So. Well, and, and there's... The most egregious thing before we go to Representative Zephyr and my colleague Aaron, I need to point this out. The most egregious thing that came out of Premier Smith's mouth this morning in that press conference was, 
that she didn't believe that children needed to be exposed to transgender or transgenderism because they need to decide about how they're going to have sex first. I, she literally conflated it right there. And I could actually hear some of my colleagues in the press corps sitting in the audience groan. So it, it, to your point, you know, it, it's all about the wrong things with them. And to actually have her come out and say, you know, they can't be transgender because they don't even know about sex yet, which completely conflates the issue. And, and as always, once again, has nothing at all to do with it, apples and oranges. But let's face it, and, and Zoe, in deference to you, I've seen some of the same rubbish come out of the mouths of some of your colleagues on the floor of the Montana House. So it's like, yeah, I think they're all on speed dial to see how much egregious they can throw out there at once. Uh, anyway, Rob, so I'll throw it back to you. Well, the, the, horror, the horror of what she said in Alberta today was that just by denying these kids under 17 health care is for, for many of them puts them in a place where they get depressed and there are suicides. And, you know, I'm going to quote Zoe before she comes on. That does mean that I'm sorry, Alberta, but you have blood on your hands as well. And, you know, yay Canada. So anyway, um, with that, I'm sure they're tired of us talking in front of their backs. Um, I do want to welcome both Aaron and Zoe to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having us. My pleasure. So, um, Zoe, I want to go ahead and start with you since we kind of dovetailed into it. Um, what were you, I'm not assuming you heard the um, what the Alberta prim, uh, Premier, sorry, um, said this morning. What what is your take on it? You know, um, I have been neck deep in Montana politics right now, so I have been not uh, in tune with what's going on in Alberta. So I might defer to to Aaron in in this case. A lot going on here in the state. Aaron, what were your thoughts? Can you hear us? Or uh, yes, hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Sorry. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So what I was what I was saying is that I had seen how this has been spreading to places like Canada, to places um, like the United Kingdom and more. And, and whenever we think about whether or not this is contained or, or, or how to get to safety or, or which places are safe for us, it's important to note that, you know, bigotry doesn't know borders and it, it can easily cross. And whenever I listened to what was said about this particular set of um, policies, I heard the same thing that I've been hearing in the legislatures throughout the United States and Republican states this year and last year and for the last four years. It's the same tired out rhetoric that uses the same logical fallacies and appeals to, you know, this sort of sense that that trans people are deceptive and that trans people are not legitimate as who we are. Yeah, it's uh, it's boggles my mind i you know i've had I've a ton of uh trans friends and i've had trans folks on my radio show for years and written and it, everybody that i know i literally have to sit back if i ask myself the question you know you know like what what of my friends are trans 
I have to mentally think that out because I I do not look at them as trans. I look at them as their gender. You know, it's like, it, it's, for example, the two of you, I look at you as two women in, in a power couple relationship, period. And, you know, your background, <laughs> although even though you're fighting for it, you know, it's like, it's, it's like I don't, my personal thought on you is not that. Um, so it just, yeah. this, this rhetoric that is coming out, the, the thing that absolutely pisses me off is how much things are said and they're all, they all come out in this huge bundle of mess that just need unpacking so dramatically. It's not like just one lie. It's like, a lie upon lie with an assumption and a lie and a lie and a lie and and trying to unravel that so that the people who don't understand and don't relate to it or don't know real trans people, you know, trying to get them to understand, which obviously you both are in a position fighting to unravel and unpack all this. Um, What, what have you found both of you in your communications and fighting on the front lines of this, the message that you think resonates the most as you're standing up for this? Uh, Yeah. So I think that for me, whenever I'm speaking to people who don't know much about trans issues or people who just want to learn more, I think that just introducing them to actual trans people is so important. And I talk about the stories of the youth that I've been able to help the parents of, of the people that I've seen, you know, turn into just outstanding human beings who are going to grow up in a time where they are going to be accepted and by a family that does accept them. You know, whenever I listen to legislative hearings and I see all of the families come to testify and they bring their, they bring their trans kids quite often and their trans teenagers quite often, unanimously, the, the message that we hear is that Prior to transition, my child was struggling, was depressed, was suicidal. After we finally accepted them and after we finally allowed them to get the care that they needed and to, and to transition in the household and to go to school and use their name to get a haircut, they, a light turned on. We, we've, we've heard stories about people, you know, going, becoming straight-A students immediately, having to get off antidepressant medication that they were on for their whole lives just because they were finally accepted for who they are. And I think that mm-hmm. it's, I try to center those stories whenever I do my reporting. Yeah, and I, I, think- I know one story I've, I've written about <clears throat> was a family whose daughter, Ellie, was four years old. And they listened to her because they understood how damaging not listening to her would be. And it was exactly as you said, at that age, it, it turned a child who was walking around depressed and, you know, starting to have mental health issues into this enthusiastic, bright, vibrant child. And this is a number of years ago. And, the, you know, it's not something they ha- have turned back on. And that's not even that, – that has nothing to do with hormone blockers or any of the other issues that um, the right is trying to suppress. Zoe, did you have a thought? 
Yeah, I just wanted to in part echo what Aaron was saying and saying that say that this is a story I hear everywhere I go, whether that's across Montana or I was in France for the World Forum for Democracy and had a family from Central Europe come up and say, uh, some, they said, someone asked us, how can we care for our trans child? What did we feel? Uh, did you feel nervous? And the mother's response was, it was like my child had come home. This child who I like, knew all the things that I'd hoped and dreamed that my kid could achieve, I thought was lost. And then they transitioned and found themselves and came home. And that light, I think, is incredibly important to highlight. On the other side, you know, when I talk to people who may not understand the laws that are targeting our community and, you know, want to get mired in specific things that they disagree with, I try to highlight the way the attacks are connected and sort of the totality of them. You know, you'll have someone say, well, I don't want to see trans women in sports. And I'm like, I could have a long conversation with you about how trans women are actually underrepresented in sports, about how uh, hormone testing, the racist history in the Olympics. I could go on, on and on and on about this. But actually, I want to take it back and say two things. One, they're banning women from jazz. You know, they're throwing the fit over Yoshi Iglesias becoming an international master in chess, um, banning women from darts. And also the people who are after us aren't content with one specific policy passing. They're going to target and tearing down uh, pride displays because any amount of visibility for our community is seen as a threat. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that helps highlight when we talk about what are these book bans in school libraries really about? What are the policies targeting us in sports and schools and the bathrooms really about? And if you can connect those dots with folks, the light bulb starts to go on and people see that, oh, these aren't about a single topic. This is about pushing uh, LGBTQ people and trans people particularly into the margins. It, absolutely. It also, and you're talking about deeper issues there. To me, one thing that's always struck me is that another deeper issue around this, because it's very much targeted to trans women and not trans men, um, even though obviously these horrendous legislations would affect trans men just as much because it's talking about health care, et cetera. But the thing that rankles the most are the trans women. And underneath that seems to be that trans women threaten women's equality and seeing women as capable as men um, in different areas. It's like the the uh, Alberta premiere today, one thing I noticed in her diatribe was how she, she didn't just talk about um, trans women having a physical advantage. She talked about how they had a massive advantage over women athletes. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, she never saw my son run in track. Because the women, the girls in track, and God bless my son for going out there and doing it, but he was run races around by many of the girls who were out there running. So I just, you know, it's like I just see this, deeper misogynistic prejudice that is also fueling the the animosity here. Um, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I would actually even go as far as to add on to what you said and say that it's not that trans women are targeted more. It's that we are differently targeted and the ways in which both of us are targeted, both trans men and trans women, add on to one another. So for instance, trans women are made out to be predatory. We're made out to be doing this because why else would somebody become a woman? That is the idea behind these Republicans. They do not believe that anybody would ever do this were it not for malicious purposes. And then for trans men, they are infantilized. And in fact, all of the attacks that center on the, on the transmasculine side of things center on the idea that these are our good women who should be reproducing for us. And they're so connected to all of the other fights, like the abortion fight, like birth control fights, like bodily autonomy. And, and you know, we're, we're seeing this again and again. As far as the massive physical advantage thing, you know, it's, it's laughable because, again, we now see which sports they are going for. It's not like it's just elite Olympic sports. We're talking about chess. We're talking about darts. We're talking about women's angling, fishing, as if, I, as if I, as a trans woman, will go out to the nearest canal and toss in my line, and all of a sudden, all of the fish are so attracted to my, to my lures. <laughs> I, I promise your audience that estrogen does not attract fish. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how much estrogen I have, and, and I, hopefully I have my, my little supply of testosterone, and I can guarantee you me going out there won't attract fish either. In fact, I seem to have a, I seem to have a knack for repelling it when, uh, when I've been in that situation. So yeah, it's. I mean, that's what. I mean, there's so much insanity around it. Plus, the sheer numbers. Um, we're talking, maybe a hundred kids across the country who are in this situation that want to compete in sports. It's you know, it's, it's obviously, um, you know, tokenism and. Um, kind of part of a whole almost like fascist mentality of of scapegoating and and going after somebody a group so that nobody is bringing up the issues that they actually should be talking about like climate change and you know abortion rights and things that they don't have answers to. Um, I actually want to can I jump in on that for a second? Oh, absolutely. And- Absolutely. And say, you know, we in Montana, our legislature meets 90 days every other year. We have to show up and get the work done. We had historic increases in property taxes this year, and Republicans did not get a supermajority, and they did not do anything to address it. They spent their time attacking the LGBTQ community. And in fact, after they gave me the boot, the Speaker of the House went and spiked his own housing bill because he was upset uh, about uh, me in the legislature. And that's the kind of uh, lack of care for the real problems we're seeing. And we're seeing the fallout here with the amount of people struggling uh, with the increases in in rent and property taxes here. And also, we have 120,000 Montanans who have been kicked off of Medicaid in the last year. That is, mm. just for readers, Montana is small. That is over 10% of our population has been kicked off of their health care. And, of course, the Republican supermajority, less interested in addressing that, more interested, rather than providing health care, in ensuring that a subset of our population, less than 1%, does not have access to the care we need. Uh, unbelievable. Zoe, can you tell us a little bit more about what the aftermath has been? We all saw your horrendous treatment 
the tr- horrendous treatment of you um, in, in the les- legislature. And I know there there were a bunch of legal things trying to keep you out. What is the status of that now, and um, how have you kept in the game with them? So our legislature adjourned in May of 2023, and my censure formally ended. Um, and so I'm in my interim committee um, over the, the next year doing, doing work. I have met with a variety of groups and constituents drafting legislation uh, for 2025, and I've traveled the state to talk to people uh, all across our state and the country um, about what they want to see um, from our legislatures uh, going forward. And so for me, all it has done is motivated me for the work in 2025 to try to bring policies that will actually help Montanans and hopefully this election uh, get rid of the Republican supermajority in our state. Well, God, God bless. I want to pivot a little bit here, if you guys don't mind, because I'm a big romantic at heart. And, <laughs> um, you know, I kind of want to know your story. You both are all over the place or saving the world. And how did you find each other and fall in love? And, you know, what is, what is the love story behind um, Aaron and Zoe? Yeah, so, you know, we very first uh, met doing the work. We had just come off the end of a really dreadful announcement by Texas. They were, you know, chasing after trans kids all across the state and trying to take them away from their parents. And we, we got to working. We worked together on that. And as these meetings continued and as we continued to work on other issues around the country, our calls became less, you know, directly focused on that. And we would add on another hour after talking where we would just hang out and talk to each other. And I think that, you know, I brushed my hair behind my ear a couple of times on on video (laughs) chat and that was enough to get her hooked. Um, And, you know, it was just, it was, that was it. After that, everything just kind of moved in such an amazing direction, even, even in the hard times, like even while she was struggling with the legislature, with the, with the censuring and with all of that that was going on, she was thinking about proposing to me and, and she did in the midst of all there, of that. There is one of my favorite moments to talk about is, you know, Aaron had been on my rock throughout the legislature. And then uh, after the censure, you know, I sat on a bench in the hallway and then there was this day where a bunch of the legislators' wives uh, and the mother of the Speaker of the House showed up early to sit on the bench so that I couldn't sit on it. And I often oh got God. asked, like, <laughs> yeah, um, I, uh, nothing, nothing says, like, being the grown-up in the room, like, uh, sending your mother to sit on the bench. Uh, but people often ask, like, oh, were you okay? Was that really difficult? Well, I'd actually received notification that the engagement ring that I had designed had come in. And so I walked past them and I went at my stand desk for the day at the cafeteria and was like dancing all day because my heart was uh, a flutter um, because I knew she was coming up and I was going to propose that weekend. Oh my God. And how did you do it? How did you propose? So uh, Missoula runs an event called Queer Prom. And this event started because there's uh, rural areas outside of the city um, where LGBTQ students had been facing harassment, discrimination, feeling isolated. And so Missoula held an event for uh, LGBTQ teens in Western Montana to have a uh, prom for them. And it was such a hit 
that the adults in the community said, we want one too. And so it became a two-day event, one for, for high schoolers and one for uh, adults. And I was uh, nominated to the adult homecoming court and given an opportunity for a speech. And I spoke and invited Erin to come out on stage with me and talked about everything that she meant to me. And Missoula was a city that had cared for me in every important moment in my transition. And I said, can you share one magical moment with me tonight? And I asked Erin to marry me. Oh, my gosh. This is the Hallmark movie I want to see. I want this to be a Hallmark movie. It's like, oh you, my you hear God, it studio exactly. <laughs> well, you're 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 luck because it is on video. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, hey, we're we're we we've got connection with publicists. We, Brody, we've got to put that bug in somebody's <laughs> ear. Uh, uh, so, Aaron, what was that like for you? I mean, were, were you suspecting it was coming? What what did you think? What uh, no? How did, yeah, how did that? So like. You know, we, we had talked, we had talked about proposing, we had talked about getting married a lot, and I, we were looking forward to possibly doing it a few months later during my first trip to France out of the country, our first trip together, um, but it was, I think, such an important moment and such a good moment and such a right moment for that. I, whenever she invited me onto the stage to stand with her in front of all of the queer community in Missoula, I was there to support her, I was there to be by her side because there's this woman that I was respecting so much and that was doing such amazing things. And when she turned to me and, and asked all of the people to share one moment with her, I, it dawned on me whenever she got up to her knee. And it was just, I, my, I've got like chills and goosebumps right now, actually. It's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, of course. I mean, it, this, is, this is kind of uh, ironically what it's all about. Because it's like... It, yeah. We can talk the intellectual arguments and even the medical arguments and, and all that stuff, but this is about <clears throat> real people being able to live real lives with real emotions and and real self-actualization. <clears throat> and so, I mean, it's um, I love that you you propose publicly and um, and you guys are putting your lives out there. I, I, I just it's um, yeah. I think that. Yeah what people will actually ultimately relate to. You know, I often get asked, um, what is queer joy? Um, when, I'm, when I go to events and sit on panels, one of the questions that is common is, what does queer joy mean to you? And I always respond saying, queer joy is the things they can't take away. And it feels so important in that, it felt so important in that moment to say, you know, they can do a lot. They can pass these heinous bills. They can um, kick me out of the room. But they cannot take away the way I feel about Aaron. They cannot take away the love in my heart. And I think to our earlier conversation, that is one of the things that I try to shine forward as I have my conversations with uh, independent voters and conservative voters across the, the country, is, saying, is talking about leading with the joy and love in my heart. And that I have found to be one of the most effective ways of uh, lowering people's walls so that they don't go into that default position of, oh, well, I was told this by the media about your community. They see you as a human, and that's, to me, the the way we plant the seeds of change. Yeah, and I think that is it. I I know I had a parallel journey 
<clears throat> being a gay man, and I was my family was conservative Republicans. They didn't get it. They didn't approve of it, et cetera, et cetera. But when they saw me in love with somebody, then it all changed. It was like then they got it. Then they they understood. It, it's like and the ironic thing is if you take all of this stuff objectively, it's um, you know we're actually talking about conservative values. We're talking about the ability to form a family, to to love, to have marriage. I mean, to you know these are all very traditional. The only thing that's changed is the people in the seats. You know who's sitting in what seat, and you know so it's there is this human thing that if the value is truly important to them, they they absolutely should get it from that. Um, Aaron, I wanted to ask you, because you actually addressed a, a really great article that appeared in The Blade um, about the holidays and advice to both trans people and their families. Um, what was Tell us about that and what uh, the the heart of that article was about. Yeah, of course. You know, I think that holiday time can be very difficult for a lot of trans people and their families and queer people as well. You know, we we all have to, a lot of us have to deal with family that might not understand us entirely. And so during the holidays, I wrote up just a little guide for the trans people that are having to go home to their families for the first time, for the families that are trying to learn how to be better, to learn how to uh, accept their own trans kids or their own trans adult children that are coming back home. And, and you know, so I, t- I talked to them about how it's important, for instance, if you are going to be an accepting family, that not only do you take them into your home, your, your own kid into your home, you also open your home to their friends and to the other people in their community because so many queer people cannot go back to their families. I am one of those people that could not go back to my family. And I found those spaces in the families that would take me in, in the families that I could share Christmas dinner with. And I think that that makes, that makes a world of difference for so many people out there. And I think that another thing, too, is that a lot of times whenever we are visiting family, and we might have to deal with unaccepting family members, not just, for, not just unaccepting towards us, but unaccepting towards their own kids, unaccepting towards their own family. It's important that we be that person that they can turn to. We be that person that the person who might not find the acceptance they need can turn to. Just making that space for somebody can make all the difference in the world. And if you ever find yourself in that position, that you can be that person, the queer person in in the room can turn to. It's a blessing. It truly is. Yeah, I, I I love that, and it's um, again it speaks to that deeper level of value that isn't right or left. It's you know it's it's love. It's human. It's it's like you know just how to be there for anybody. Um, yeah, so and, and you mentioned you mentioned earlier. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. No, please. Well, so what I was going to say is that you mentioned earlier that, like, some of these things are traditional and conservative values. And I want to say that these are, these are values that we all can accept and that we all can embrace. The idea that family has, has a broad meaning, the, the idea that people can fall in love with one another and experience joy, 
and the idea that we should be there for one another. And I think that that's the reason why, even though all of this stuff that's been going on legislatively in these, in these hearings, all the hate that's been there, most of us don't see that on the ground. Most of us experience community. Most of us know that people around us understand and accept us. So many do. I don't think that this is a, that this, that that's going on up there. I don't think that this is part of American culture or, or our culture. I think that this is something that is being done at the top and not by people on the ground. Just to echo Aaron I, real quick, that's, wh- that's why in Iowa we saw for the most recent uh, attack on LGBTQ people, three people came supporting it and hundreds came out opposed to, uh, opposed to the harmful legislation. Excellent. And that's, that is the way it should be. I, the, there's part of American culture that, um, apart from trans issues, is kind of gender-obsessed. And it's, I, I think this is one of the deeper weaknesses that we have that the, the issue, it's not even an issue, the, the fact that trans um, health care becomes an issue is sort of pulling the rug over, or pulling the, the visibility off on this weakness. And that weakness is, for example, like we have these huge now gender reveal parties of, of <clears throat> somebody's pregnant. And is it a boy or a girl? And, oh, here's, you know, this pink smoke. That means it's a girl and everything else. And it's like we're very, very vested in putting that label on a baby immediately. Um, and I think that in itself is kind of a problem. Um, what do you guys think about that, or what is your opinion? <laughs> well, as a, as a legislator, I will say that the state of Montana is not coming after your gender reveal parties. <laughs> have, them, <laughs> have them if you see, if you see fit. Um, but, you know, I think for me, you know, when we talk about, you talked about attacks on trans women, attacks on uh, trans men, um, and how they, they're related, and the question of, you know, creating a, uh, the, the far right and the uh, imagining trans women as predators, and imagining trans men as victims, and the way that that is connected to, oh, we must protect our women so that they can reproduce. We must protect... I think that's connected. You know, I remember talking to many of the, the trans women in my life who, when they talked about being um, separated from their families, they were talking about fathers who imagined or were saying, oh, I've lost, you know, who's going to carry the bloodline? Who's going to carry that? And I think that that, um, that fear is a part of, uh, a part of it. I'd, I'd love to hear uh, Aaron's thoughts as, as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just, um, I think that as long as your gender reveal parties don't burn down the, the, the national forest, <laughs> I think, I think that we'll be okay. You know, one, one thing that I always say, and yeah, we do live in a, in a gender obsessed world in a lot of ways. Um, but I think that the existence of trans people and the sort of way in which we have developed as a society has made it so that at least I hope we we have a we have a broader um, a broader ability to uh, to reach out beyond what we've been prescribed just at at birth. 
I would yeah. also like to, to jump in very, very quickly and say that I think when we talk about trans folks uh, and gender and the gender-obsessed world, I wish that there were folks who could see the joy um, of gender that trans people exhibit. You know, the, the way in which I move through the world as a woman with a joy and appreciation for my womanhood uh, that maybe would have been, oh, which certainly would have been possible pre-transition, but that folks, even folks who, you know, push strongly for, uh, you know, conservative values would recognize uh, and appreciate. But No, it's, I mean, there are so many nuances and levels that um, people could click into and understand um, so I do want to transition a little bit um, to what happened with you, not just in what you were fighting for and their reaction and everything else, but the fact that it brought this huge spotlight onto you that probably wouldn't have happened had they not attacked you. Um, what has that been like being, you know, so visible um, in, in your position and what uh, what advantage have you actually been able to gain from that? You know, I remember when the you know the eyes of the world turned to Montana in that moment, and I kept the thing I kept saying to myself is, okay, I've got to do. How do I rise to the moment? How do I do the right thing in the next you know hour? In the next two hours? What does it mean to do good in this space um, and with the opportunities here? And that was what I'd been trying to do since I got elected. Uh, my first conversation when I talked about running for office, I asked, is this a room my voice can do good in? Um, and I've been blessed following uh, the legislature with the um, you know, rise in profile, uh, as you would call it, to be invited into a variety of rooms. Um, some of those rooms have been working on federal policy. Some of them have been talking to legislators across the country. Um, I was the sole American politician at the World Forum for Democracy. And I spoke with people in France about uh, LGBTQ policy there. I talked with folks in Central America about uh, how to help their LGBTQ community find safety. And for me, when you ask what has it been like, it has been the, just the repeating question of what rooms am I being invited into and how do I try to do good in these spaces? Um, that's been my, the, the whole of my attention um, from the space I've talked about to helping folks uh, be, feel encouraged and empowered to run for office and hopefully help make a change here in the years ahead. I, I, hope, I hope they do as well, um, and I hope that you've inspired people to get involved and be out there. Um, you know, certainly you showed them what it's like to stand up against the quote-unquote establishment. Um, the thing that rankled them, that got their pearls clutched and everything else, was the use of your term, blood on your hands, which obviously I agree with because I already echoed it myself in the show. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of a, bottom line that we all tend to fight for because we have all seen the horrors of young people, self-harm, drug addiction, and worse. Um, when you said that um, and they got all hysterical on you, was there anybody that your words landed 
right with, that they understood what you were talking about, that took it seriously, that that they should have con- some some concern over um, the ramifications of their actions at all? Uh, yeah, there were Republicans I talked to who understood. But unfortunately, they didn't um, care enough or they were too afraid of uh, being primaried out of their seat uh, to take the right vote. Um, but behind the scenes would tell me, oh, I'm sorry, I had to do that. Or, you know, I can't wait for this bill to go down in court uh, because right now, you know, I can't get away from this because our party has gone, you know, feral on this. Um, and so I know that individually I reached hearts. Um, and, you know, that's, that's some of the, the hard work here is how do you sometimes moving the needle uh, doesn't change the outcome because there's a hundred different needles you have to move, but you keep trying and trusting that down the road, it'll make the difference. Right. You're obviously rubbing a lot of elbows with Republicans and the Republican party and the party right now seems to be completely under the control of basically a wannabe dictator uh, wanting to take over our country and are sort of universally acting, you know, completely helpless, no matter what um, morality or or secret misgivings they might have. Um, what what do you see that could turn that for them? You know, I think there's a couple things. Uh, one, it's important to know that it only takes one person to stand up to have the courage to push back against their party. Um, I think if we see that on the ground in our legislatures, uh, it would make all the difference. If those conversations behind closed doors that Republicans were having with me, if they had the gumption to state that on the House floor, I think we'd see different results. Um, but on the, the larger scale, we've, you know, the, the far right is all in. You know, in 2022, there was a rainbow wave um, and we, you know, I asked myself, is this, is this going to show them that this pop, uh, this, these anti-trans policies aren't popular? And they doubled mm-hmm. down. In 2023, we saw huge losses uh, across the country. And here we are in 2024, and they are doubling down. Um, and, you know, the saving grace is a lot of these are getting struck down in courts. I know here in Montana, um, they are getting struck down both in federal courts and in state courts. Um, and so I take solace in that and I, you know, I know they're going to, they're, they're losing election uh, elections on this issue. And so eventually they will let it go or they will lose the majority entirely. Right. Or it will be rustled out of their tiny little hands. Um, so I want to ask you both, what is, what is next for each of you, um, professionally and personally? Uh, yeah, so I'll jump in and say that for me, uh, over the next year, I'm planning on doing the same thing that I've been doing. I'm going to continue to cover these bills. We're going to continue to cover the big moments on trans and queer rights, on the history and the cultural moments in my newsletter. Uh, but I do know that this year is going to be a little bit different from previous years, whereas most of my activity in the past has focused on the first six months due to the legislatures. We have a presidential election coming, and it's going to be a big one. 
if you have paid attention to campaign videos released by Donald Trump, if you've paid attention to the RNC's policy positions or the Heritage Foundation's Project 2025, you know that they intend to make trans people and LGBTQ people a main part of their platform. I am gearing Mm -hmm. up for ads that are going to be on all of the TV stations. And so my role is going to be even more important to provide the right information and the correct information to people who are going to be seeking it out in larger numbers than ever before. And Billy, what about for you? (laughs) (laughs) Admire Erin's work for one. Um, be there to support her personally. Uh, you know, for me, again, I'm prepping. Montana is one of the four states that does not meet. Our legislature does not meet in um, even years. And so I am prepping legislation for 2025. Um, I am also meeting uh, with candidates across the state of Montana, whether that is in swing districts that are going to be very, very tight or some of these districts are, you know, R plus 20, R plus 40. And I am meeting with people over there who are saying, you know what, I'm tired of no Democrats showing up and fighting in these places. I'm going to stand up and push. I am going to try to make my voice heard. And I'm trying to help move the needle there uh, to sort of lay the groundwork um, for elections, uh, both this year and in the future. Uh, I'm working on uh, some federal policy with folks. I'm meeting with uh, candidates across the country um, and working with folks like uh, David Hogg at Leaders We Deserve, um, Run for Something, Victory Funds, helping talk to folks about moving the needle nationally um, as well. And then, uh, on a personal note, Erin uh, and I are probably going to get married this year. So there is some wedding planning to be done as well. <laughs> yeah, well, that, of course that. That, that sounds incredible. Um, uh, Zoe, are you giving any thought to, like, federal office or higher up in the Montana government? Uh, my apologies if you're hoping for breaking news. Um, you know, I am not, uh, Matt, I'm not Matt Rosendale, you know, sitting there pretending that there's going to be an announcement for uh, a bigger run. Um, I am, uh, for me, when I look at, you know, again, the rooms that I can do the most good in, Right now, state legislatures are the front line. Right now, we need infrastructure in the state of Montana, support across the state for candidates. That's what I'm interested in uplifting. Uh, That's the work that I want to do. I don't rule anything out down the line, um, but right now, my entire focus is on helping my community in the sta- uh, um, have a voice in the state legislature. And if I ever feel there's a different room for me to be in, a room where my voice could do better, uh, I will go to that room. And that is true whether that is higher office in the state of Montana, federally, or I'd go back to be a school, uh, work at a school board if I felt that was the place my voice was most needed. There's no path I'm on. It's just where my heart is called to. Right. Great, great non-committing, committing answer. I <laughs> love it. So, oh, look at that. And, She's a practice yeah, politician. There you go. Um, there, very, so. very, very good. It, it, it stars across the board. Um, <laughs> we are down to our last four minutes. What haven't I asked you guys that we should talk about? Do you want to take that, uh, so I think, yeah, sure. So, I, one of the things that I always like to close off with is like messages of hope and, and the things that give me hope for the future. And I think that for me, I have so much hope whenever I look at the next generation that's coming up right now. 
You know, Gen Z right now, like people under the age of 26, they get it. This is not a debate for them. This isn't even an issue for them. I've watched people march out of their high schools in Florida, Virginia, to defeat anti-trans policies at school boards. And we just saw school board elections across the board, across the United States, go against Moms for Liberty and other candidates like that because of student-led activism, because they saw how it was hurting their peers. And so whenever I see somebody who grew up in my hometown, you know, a young trans girl who grew up in Louisiana in a place where it was hard to be trans as a, teen, as a teenager, and I see her nominated to the homecoming court. That is how we change things. And I just, those are the stories that, that make me hopeful for the future. I'll well, I echo think, that. I'll let you go. I, you can, you can. Yeah, I think you both um, are shining hope for the future. I mean, it's, um, you're beautiful, you're a beautiful couple, the love between you is is absolutely right out there. I think that's hugely inspiring. And I was only half kidding about that Hallmark movie because I can actually see it. <laughs> so um, you know, you know, I, I will I'll put some creative thought towards or prayers towards that somehow becoming a reality. Uh, Zoe, did you have a final word? Um. No, I think that's actually, I think Aaron ended on a, on a lovely note. And I just, you know, for me, I just feel grateful. Uh, you know, it is a hard time that we're in right now. Um, and I know it feels, you know, very difficult in these moments uh, as the laws get brought forward. Um, I'm grateful to, that Aaron is making sure everything that's all the attacks we're under are coming to light and that we're also highlighting the victories that we're getting as we went in courts and school boards and elections across the country. And for me, I know Aaron and I just feel driven to make sure that we're doing this work blessed that we can be in the fight together. Um, and I know we talk about, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, um, looking back and saying, you know, we made a difference in this fight and, I hope we're able to do that, and I hope folks uh, can find the joy that we're trying to bring to the world. Perfect. And on that note, we have to say goodbye today. But um, I want to thank you both for, first of all, being who you each are. Um, you're both very important, and your visibility is, is, is everything. Um, so, and then thank you also for coming on today for and lending your voice to this show, and Aaron, obviously, for your voice on the L.A. Blade, and Zoe, for your voice for the rest of the world, um, and, oh, oh, and that state, Montana. Um, so, anyway, thank you again. Thank you so much. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. We love you. Please do have your friends and family subscribe. Uh, we love them, too, and we'd love to have them listen in. Um, and also, don't forget the Los Angeles Blade at losangelesblade.com and all the great material there. And big thanks to Brody Levesque for his production work on this show and his editorship on that magazine. And for us at Rated LGBT Radio, that is it for this week. We will begin, we will be back next week with more. Make sure you tune in. Talk to you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.